Good morning. Today I'm going to be speaking on the question, should Christians celebrate Halloween? This is a question that's coming up a lot in our church and in churches across the country. This question is important because it has to do with how Christians engage in culture, what we can participate in, what we can't participate in, and the things in between. It's also important because our children, those are the ones who are primarily participating in Halloween, and so we are, whether intentionally or unintentionally, teaching them how we are as Christians to engage culture. We want to make sure we don't do anything that stumbles our children in their faith, that teaches them practices that are displeasing to God, or teaching them to do things that violate their conscience. The conscience we have is a gift from God, and we don't want to violate it. Now, this question of whether we should celebrate Halloween is a type of question that comes up a lot in the life of a church. It goes all the way back to the beginning of God's people. There are things that are clearly commanded in the Bible. We must obey. There are things that are clearly prohibited in the Bible. We must abstain. But then there are things that the Bible is not expressly commanding or prohibiting. And these are open-handed things that we must decide. They're matters of Christian liberty, matters of conscience. Those things which God has expressly said in the scriptures, those are close-handed issues. We don't change them, edit them, ignore them, or add to them. Those are things that we hold fast, things that define us as a body of Christ, as the people of God. But then there are things that are open, and different people in different circumstances can both be faithful to God in different responses. Halloween is an open-handed issue. When it comes to questions of Christian liberty, there are two extremes. One extreme is legalism, which says that my personal scruples, my personal conviction, what I think is right, where God is silent, is what everyone must do to be a Christian. It's when I add to the, the, the word of God my own commandments, my own rules and regulations. I elevate my own regulations and rules that I think are right to the level of Scripture. I exclude people who don't obey my personal commitments, and I include people who do what I do and think what I think. This is dividing the body of Christ. This is also adding to the word of God. This is trying to bind the conscience of someone else where Christ has left them free. And I am not supposed to enslave someone else to my conscience where Christ has left them free. I don't want to err on the side of legalism. And you can do this with all sorts of questions. Questions of diet, questions of holidays, questions of vaccines, voting, sports. There's lots of areas of life that go into the open-handed bucket. And when I have my conviction based on what I found in the word of God in my circumstance, I'm not supposed to impose that on the rest of the body of Christ as some sort of test for whether you're a Christian and you can fellowship with me. That's being a legalist. On the other side, you have people who are lawless. We call them antinomianism. They're against the law. They think that the law of God is irrelevant now. We're under grace. Jesus died for our sins. He's washed us of our sins. And so we don't have to worry about the laws and commandments of God. Those things are all deleted. They're all expired. But that's not true. Christ has set us free from the power of sin so that we are free to love and obey him. The word of God is full of commands for us as Christians. And when you have a kind of cavalier, lawless attitude, like I'm free in Christ, I can do what I want, and there's no condemnation, there's no sin I can commit that will separate me from God, so I can do everything, that is actually, that's a heresy. That will lead you into slavery of sin again. And you can easily um, uh, despise or show contempt for people who have sensitive consciences, 
who are saying, I'm not sure that I can celebrate Halloween. You're like, ah, it's fine. What's the problem? We, Christ died for our sins. We're free in Christ. Just stop, stop raising these objections. So you can be lawless and you can be a legalist. Both of them are wrong. Both of them are sin. And if you find yourself in one of these two camps, you want to repent. If you've judged people because they haven't lived up to your personal standard in an open-handed question area, then go to them and ask for forgiveness. Ask them to forgive you for judging them for something that you had no right to judge them in. If you've been uh, disrespectful or contemptuous or just despise somebody because they have this sensitive conscience, you know, why are they always making a big deal of everything? And you've kind of disfellowshipped from them, you've pulled away from them because you don't want to relate to them, you're actually breaking the unity of the body of Christ because of your cavalier attitude. Ask them to forgive you for that. This is how we maintain the unity and diversity of the body of Christ. There's a lot of people in our culture right now who are crushing individuals and taking away their freedom of conscience. We have people in our church who are being persecuted at their jobs because their consciences, their convictions tell them based on the word of God that they're not going to get this vaccination. And because of that, they don't have that freedom in their job anymore. Their bosses have taken away freedom of conscience. The government is doing that too. But the reason why they're doing that in part is because they learned it from the church. For years, the church has been adding to the gospel all sorts of extra rules to qualify you to be a part of the church. At one point, you couldn't dance. That was a sin. You couldn't go to movies. That was a sin. You couldn't play cards. That was a sin. And these things, if you did them, they would disfellowship you from the church. They were adding to the word of God. They were making their their personal preferences a matter of scripture. And so is it any wonder that now our secular anti-God culture is doing the exact same thing to everybody? Where Christ is Lord, there is freedom. There's freedom of conscience. And we need to show the world what it looks like to be a community of people who are very different and yet unified in love and fellowship, even when we have disagreements on open-handed issues. Now, when it comes to answering the question, should I participate in Halloween as a Christian? There are three approaches. Three approaches to engaging culture as a Christian. One is I can receive it. Two is I can reject it. And three is I can redeem it. If I receive it, that means I don't see anything wrong with it. Before God, I have a clear conscience. According to his word, it's not, it's not prohibited. And it's, I think it's right before God. I think God will bless it. So, for example, should I go to a baseball game? That didn't come from the church. That's not a Christian sport, you know. Should I participate and in, in, in go to a baseball game? There's lots of people who make baseball like an idol. It's like the thing that gives them satisfaction in life. Should I participate and go to a Dodger game? Sure. Yeah, you can receive that. Right? There's all sorts of areas of life where you are participating in things that are not you know, explicitly Christian, but you can receive them. And for people who receive Halloween, they don't think it's a big deal. Jesus went to parties. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. Right? There's all sorts of things in our culture that we're participating in, but we're not worshiping you know, idols and demons. Thursday is named after Thor, the Norse god of thunder. Right? Friday is named after Frida, uh, Thor's mother. Saturday is named after Saturn the God in uh, the, the Roman pantheon, do we stop using the words Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? No. Are we celebrating you know, those, those Norse gods when we say it? No. So we, we receive the, the names of the days. You know, The Volkswagen. It was uh, originally the idea of Hitler. Do we not drive Volkswagens because Hitler had the idea of the people's car, the Volkswagen? Well, no. So people who receive Halloween, they don't see that Halloween and participating in trick-or-treating, dressing up like a bumblebee, getting candy from their neighbors. They don't think this is any way a sin or offense to God. And they need to have the freedom to come to that conviction based on God's word. It is to the Lord that they give an account in this open-handed area. 
Another camp says we should reject Halloween because it has its pagan roots. It's demonic. It's full of evil and darkness and, and the mutilation of the flesh. And uh, they're sacrificing uh, 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 human beings that go on in America on Halloween. There's all sorts of dark stuff that happens. And it's just rotten all the way through. There's no way to you know, redeem it. There's no way to participate in it with not you know, participating in the darkness. And these people have a real conviction about this. Right? They read Deuteronomy 18 that says that we should not adopt the practices of the pagan nations that, we, that we're, uh, we're living amongst. And they think that's what we're doing at Halloween. They, they point out that the, the origins of Halloween, uh, of, of celebrating on the 31st of October, is Samhain, uh, an ancient Celtic pagan um, uh, holiday where the veil between the demonic realm and the human realm is thinned out. And these demons come in and they torment your family unless you leave treats in front of your house at night. And that's true. The, the pagans did have that. But it's also true that the church, the, the, the Christian church, made Halloween uh, All Hallows' Eve. Halloween is Hallows' Eve, which means it's the night before November 1st when we celebrate All Saints' Day, when we celebrate the martyrs in the Christian church, people who died for their faith in Jesus. That's, that's what the holiday was officially named Halloween for. And so... But anyway, the people who reject it, they feel like it's too dark, it's too demonic, it's just full of evil things, and we're just not going to participate in it. And that's okay. They have the freedom to do that if it's right before God and they have a clear conscience. Then there are people who want to redeem Halloween. This is the third option when it comes to engaging culture. Um, our community group uh, several years ago turned my house into a carnival. Uh, we had a photo spot for families to take pictures. We had coffee and cocoa for families to drink. It was free. We had carnival games that they could throw beanbags into the cornhole and get candy. Uh, we passed out candy that said, do not fear, for I am with you, Isaiah 41.10. We lit it up. It was full of light. So in the, the community, it was very dark, and there's always dark things around. But in our house, it was bright. It was light. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people who just hung out outside my house for hours. They just stayed there. It was amazing. They were pouring out in the streets. We invited them to church in the valley. They were so grateful and appreciative that it wasn't dark and disgusting. They really loved it. It was a great witness. It was a great opportunity to extend a hand and to bring people in to our church. In fact, a couple months later, I had a Bible study in my garage for my neighbors where I was sharing Christ with them. And a couple of the guys who came, came because they remembered the carnival we did at our house. Like, aren't you the ones who did that, like, carnival at your house? I'm like, yeah. Like, that was really cool. Yeah, I'll be at your Bible study. It gave us credibility. It was able to share the gospel. One of them came to Christ. So you can redeem Halloween. You can reject Halloween. You can receive Halloween. The key here is, is that for, for right now in the sermon is that this is an open-handed issue and different kinds of people can have different responses. So that's my next point. My next point is when it comes to these open-handed questions of Christian liberty, faithfulness to Christ, and that's the most important thing, being faithful to Christ may look differently for two different families. All throughout the Bible, these kinds of questions, these kinds of questions come up. For example, there was a question in the first century church of Colossae. The question was, what holidays and festivals should God's people celebrate? Sounds familiar, right? If you want to read about that, read that in Colossians 2. Another question was, how should God's people interact with corrupt government? Should we participate in a government that's corrupt? Should we stay outside of it and, and, and avoid it? Should we be a part of a business that's doing something that we don't agree with? Should we, you know, should we go to a college that's secular? Should we be inside of a system that's not, that's not honoring Christ, or should we just build our own outside? This is a question that Christians have to wrestle with. Well, you can read a case study about this in 1 Kings 18. There was a prophet of God named Obadiah, and he worked inside of the administration of this wicked king Ahab. And there was a prophet named Elijah, and he was outside the system. Both men were trying to reform, reform the kingdom, 
but one was inside and one was outside. And the truth is, both of them were being faithful to God. And you see that in that case study in 1 Kings 18. So you could read about that. What about the question, uh, what do you have to do to be part of God's people? You know, what does it take to join a church? What does it take to become a Christian, to become a part of a fellowship of a body of Christ? What are the, what are the absolute uh, minimums right, that you have to uh, do and believe? This is a question that was being wrestled about in the first century church. The Jews who became Christians said, first you have to become a Jew, be circumcised, obey the Mosaic law, keep all the commands, and then you can become a Christian. Paul and the apostles were saying, no, you have to put your faith in Christ and you don't have to become a Jew first. But this was a controversy about what it took to be a part of the fellowship. What rules did you have to follow to be a part of the church? Now, one of the big ones in the first century is one that I want to focus on now, because it's where you find most of the teaching on these open-handed issues. And it was the question of whether or not you could eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Could Christians eat meat that was sacrificed to idols? So here's how it went. In Corinth and Rome, all around the Mediterranean, churches were being started. People were being saved. They were coming out of their, their bondage to sin and idolatry into faith in Christ. Okay, It's a great thing. God was transforming their lives. But these cities were full of temples to Aphrodite, to Zeus, to Apollos. And these temples had sacrifices 24-7. They'd bring goats and bulls, and they'd sacrifice these animals to their gods. And then afterwards, they had all this meat. So the temples would make money by chopping up the meat, just like a butcher does today, and you know sends it to Ralph's for your steak. They would sell it out back in the meat market. So out back of these temples was a meat market where you could go and buy meat. And they also had restaurants that were connected to the temples, like Aphrodite's Barbecue. Now, something else that was going on in these temples was prostitution. Part of the cultic worship of ancient Rome was you would you know, sleep with a prostitute, offer your sacrifice, and then go get some barbecue at the back. That was how they did it. And many of the Christians who had been saved by Christ out of this life, they had come from that background. And so the question was, should you buy meat and should you eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? And this was a big division. The Jews who had become Christians said, absolutely not. You absolutely can't eat this meat because it's been sacrificed to idols. And then there were some Christians who were like, you know, if I, if I eat this meat, I feel like I'm getting sucked back into that old religion. And then there were, there were Gentiles who were like, no, I'm, I'm, it's just meat. And so this was a disputable matter. Okay, what did, the, what did the Apostle Paul say? Here's what he said. He said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So a major principle when it comes to open-handed issues of Christian liberty is you want to be doing what's good for your neighbor. You want to be looking out for the body's unity. You want to be looking out for the faith of other people. You don't want to do something that's going to cause them to stumble. Then it says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. You want to eat the meat sold at Aphrodite's barbecue? Go ahead. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul, you're, you're a Jew who became a Christian. You, you really love God. You're, you're zealous for God. You, you know the law of God. You try to obey the law of God. Why would you say that? And Paul says, well, the law of God says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible says that everything that was created was created by God. And so if you receive it with thanksgiving, there's nothing wrong with the meat. You try to separate yourself from everything that's been touched by something evil. You'd have to go to another planet. But then he says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go. OK, so you have some friend. You try to win him to Christ. You try to tell him about Jesus. And he worships at you know, Aphrodite's temple. He's like, yeah, why don't we have lunch? And he invites you to Aphrodite's barbecue for some French dip. Right. And he's like, one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go. You want to go eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the grounds of conscience. You can eat the food. OK, don't make it a big deal. Don't you know, make it uncomfortable or weird. Just eat the food that's being served to you. 
But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informs you and for the sake of conscience. Now, I don't mean your conscience, Paul says, but his conscience. For why should my liberty, why should my liberty that Jesus has given me, why should the freedom to wrestle through this issue before God, why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I denounced because of that which I have given thanks? So then Paul gives a principle. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And I'm trying to glorify God if I'm giving thanks to God. In everything I do, I should be able to say, thank you, God. This is from you. This pleases you. I'm going to enjoy it. Now, it's interesting what Paul says here. He says, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice. Who's he talking about there? Is he talking about the guy, the non-Christian that you're eating barbecue with? This has been offered in sacrifice. I, I didn't realize it. I'm sitting under a gigantic statue of Apollos or Aphrodite, and I'm eating at Aphrodite's barbecue, and it says, food sacrificed to idols. I didn't realize it. No, that's not who he's talking about. He's talking about a weaker brother. He's talking about a Christian in the church who comes by and sees Pastor Paul eating idolatrous food. He says, when that guy sees that, he's like, it's okay to, it's okay to eat this? I can eat this? this is, I thought this was sacrificed to idols. I, I didn't think you were supposed to eat this. He says, in that case, don't eat it. Because you know it's going to trip this guy up. Because this guy used to worship at this temple, he used to eat the food, and he used to participate in the prostitution. And it's not going to be long before he's like, well, Pastor Paul says it's fine. So now he's back next week with his old buddies, and they're drinking, and they're eating, and pretty soon he's getting with the prostitutes again. So I'm considering his faith. I'm considering his growth, his maturity. I'm considering his soul. I want to look out for him. So I'm willing to limit myself for his benefit. That's the principle that governs all of these open-handed issues. Okay. Now, Paul also says, why should my liberty be determined by his conscience? That's an important principle, too. His conscience is not God's law on me. I am voluntarily limiting myself. I am free to do it. He doesn't get to say to me, hey, you can't eat this meat. You better stop eating this meat or I'm not going to go to church with you. I'm not going to be in group with you. I'm not going to be a part of a church where someone like you eats meat sacrificed to idols. If that guy tried to elevate his personal conscience to the standard of scripture and exclude me from fellowship, I wouldn't submit to it. So his conscience is not my law, but my love for him binds me and limits me for his good. So Paul clarifies it even more in his letter to the Romans. It's on the same topic of whether you should eat meat, sacrifice to idols. And he says this, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. This issue should not be bigger than the unity of the church. God is calling out of every nation a new people and he's uniting them into one body in Christ. The unity and love of the body of Christ is paramount to God. It's a big deal that his kids love and take care of each other. And if you're ripping the family apart because you have this opinion and you have this opinion, don't destroy the work of God for food. So Paul is saying, he says, everything is clean. Yeah, you can eat the meat, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. That's a positive good. So again, if I know this is going to cause him to stumble back into sin, then I'm not going to do it out in front of him and just flaunt it, right? Then Paul says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. You can eat the meat privately at your house for dinner. You can bring home a steak for your wife. She's like, where'd you get it? I'm like, I got it from the Aphrodite grocery store. She's like, okay, great. She cooks it up. Everybody eats it. We thank God for it. No problem. That's that's between me, my family, and God. There's areas of my life, like in my house, in my private life, where we can exercise our liberty. But in the corporate church life, 
If I was to have a small group meeting and invite over these weaker brothers and all of the meat that we were serving was from the Aphrodite temple, I would be stumbling him. He would have to violate his conscience to be a part of that meeting or he'd have to leave. Why would I do that? So instead, I might have an option for him that's not the Aphrodite meat. Or maybe everybody in the meeting is willing to just not have Aphrodite meat for the sake of this person. But we're doing it voluntarily. I would initiate as the leader. I'd say, hey, everybody, this might really stumble him. Let's just not do this meat for this meeting. And they could say, yeah, that sounds great. Right? We voluntarily limit ourselves for this person. This is the big principle. So then Paul goes on to say, Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. For whoever, does, whoever doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you're eating this food, but you're not convinced in your mind that it's right before God and that he's blessed it, that's sin. Because you're doing it for some other reason. right? You're double-minded. You're violating your conscience. You're doing what you think is wrong. And that's, that's a sin. You should be doing it from faith. Which means... You're confident it's right before God, and God will bless it, right? So if you're going to celebrate Halloween, you should be confident before God that the way you're celebrating Halloween is right before him and that he will bless it. You can ask his blessing on it. Say, God, we're going to go out and do Halloween this way. We know this will be pleasing to you. We pray that you bless it in Jesus' name. Right? But you don't ask God to bless prostitution or bless adultery or bless murder because you know that is explicitly forbidden in Scripture. That is a closed-handed thing. And now... If I'm at a small group meeting, and I know that half the group didn't celebrate Halloween because they don't, they don't want to celebrate it, and, and the other half of the group did, I'm not going to say, hey, what did you guys all do for Halloween? And make the conversation a conversation that excludes them. I want to consider them. I'm not telling them they have to celebrate it. I'm not bound by their conscience, but I want to consider. Okay? So this is how we handle these kinds of issues. So I want to give you some basic principles as I wrap up that you should keep in mind as you make your rules as you answer the question of whether your family should celebrate Halloween. This is primarily the responsibility of parents and specifically the fathers. Husbands and fathers, your job is to make these rules, to make sure these rules are made. You want to get your wife's input. You want to get her wisdom. You want, you want to make that decision prudently. You want to look at the scriptures. But you need an answer to this question, especially as Halloween gets darker and darker and darker. You've got to coach your kids how to participate in this if you're going to do that. Or if you're not going to do that, you need to explain to your kids why it's done in faith. Why before God you believe this is right. And this is your great privilege and your great duty as the head of the household. God has given you authority over the home. And as the ruler of the home, you have to rule. You have to give reasons. You have to think it through according to God's law. So let's look at some basic principles. Number one, unity. If your policy, if your rule in your family is pulling you away from the church, is pulling you away from people, is making division, then that's not good. You want to be able to pull towards people. Whatever you decide, make sure it's not pulling you away from the church. Number two, and that happens when you get offended. You know, it's after Halloween, you see their pictures on Facebook, you're like, I can't believe they celebrate Halloween. Or, I can't believe they don't celebrate Halloween. That's just so, like, ridiculous, right? And you, next time you see them, there's just a little bit of an edge. That's disunity. Don't do that. Number two, know your jurisdiction. God has given authority over the home to the father and the mother over the kids, and over the home to the father. That's clear in Ephesians 5, 6. That's household cults. Ephesians 5 and, household, and, and Ephesians 6 clearly lays out the order of the home. And so I am Matt Sprinkle. I'm the head of my household. And what we do in my household is not binding to some other household. And if I look at your household and I start judging you, I'm outside of my jurisdiction. Recognize the boundaries that God has established. It's your job to be over your home and not to pass judgment over another. Which brings us to number three. Don't transgress God's law. 
Whatever we do for Halloween, I got to make sure that we're not doing anything that violates the word of God. So as I'm walking my kids out trick or treating, as my kids are asking me what they can do, I'm paying attention to make sure they're not doing anything that I know is a violation of the word of God. Okay. Number four, uh, justification, justified, not condemned. Um, Everybody in the church, everybody who's in Christ is justified. That means their sins past, present and future have been forgiven and washed. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So I shouldn't be condemning somebody who Jesus has justified. I shouldn't be excluding somebody that Jesus has brought in. Okay? So whatever my rules are, they should never violate unity. They should never get outside my jurisdiction. They shouldn't transgress God's word. And they shouldn't leave me to judge. Now let's get to some specifics. Number one, honor the image of God. You are the image of God. God created the human race, male and female, to be his image bearers on earth. We don't create images of God because you are the image of God. And he created you male and he created you female. So if you're a guy, don't dress up like a girl. If you're a girl, don't dress up like a guy. Don't mutilate the flesh. Don't wear uh, costumes that tear apart, rip apart the human body, that exalt death. These things dishonor the image of God. Okay? You wear a costume uh, of a superhero, great. You know, no big deal. But if you try to make a human being into something else that's detestable to God... That's not good. Number two, practice holiness. Holiness is about keeping the distinction between life and death, light and darkness, clean and unclean, love and hate, uh, evil and good. So you don't want to be mixing things. You want to mix life and death. You want to stay away from things that exalt in death and darkness. So if you dress up like some dead zombie, that's not holy because zombies are counterfeit resurrections. Zombies are you know, a dead thing that's been filled with some demonic spirit and brought back to life. It's a counterfeit resurrection. It's a counterfeit. Uh, Christ is the one who brings us to life through his Holy Spirit. So you don't, you don't want to mix death and life. That's what zombies do. You don't want to wear, like I said, just grotesque, violent, and, and, and uh, just disgusting things uh, as, as costumes. And you also don't want to blur the distinction between good and evil. I'm not going to wear a Hitler costume on Halloween because I'm a Christian. And I belong to Lord Jesus, and he is righteous, good, and just, and Hitler was not. So I'm not going to dress up like Hitler or dress up in anything else that's going to blur the distinctions that God has established between good and evil, right and wrong, light and darkness. And you, you've got to really make sure that you keep things clean and holy. And if you're not sure how to do that, you can ask a pastor. Um, number three, you want to express faith, not fear. So you don't want to do anything that's going to scare you, scare your kids. You don't want to intentionally try to terrify yourself. You don't want to go someplace that's going to freak you out because our God is a God of faith and love and light, and there's no fear. God says, do not fear, for I am with you. He doesn't want you to be afraid and terrified. He's, he sent his son to save us from fear. Christians are supposed to be fearless people. So if we're putting ourselves in a situation to get terrified, that's not godly. That's not, that's not right. And you can, you can read through the scriptures over and over again and see. Like, there's plenty of things in life that are scary by themselves. We want to be doing things that we know are pleasing to God. We want to be exercising our faith as we participate or don't participate in Halloween. Number five, capitalize on the opportunity. If you are going to stay home, how can you make this a great evening for your family? How can you help your kids understand why you're home from a biblical point of view? Use it as an opportunity to pray and ask God to save people and pray for all sorts of protections and, and, and use it as a special time. Or if you're going to go out, And it's an opportunity to meet your neighbors, connect with your neighbors. How can you use Halloween to build better relationships with neighbors that you can share Christ with? Okay? And then uh, five, consider the kid's age and stage. Some kids are um, more sensitive than others. And so you don't want to put your kid in a situation that's going to stumble them. 
It's going to make them do something they don't feel comfortable doing. It's going to violate their conscience, make them feel unsafe. Right? You want to teach your children that it's okay for them to have the sensitive constitutions they have. God's word says that he knows our frame. That he doesn't put us in situations more than we can bear. So when you're making your rule about Halloween, don't just make it for the oldest kid who wants to go out and do the not scary farm and then you drag your three-year-old kid out there with zombies attacking you. Like That's not considering the youngest kid. You, you have to consider the weakest person, which is the youngest child or the one who has a sensitive conscience, and make a rule that is considerate of them. Now, there's two things that you can do, two lists that you can look at to be very clear about what's off limits for Halloween. The first is the Ten Commandments. Find that at Exodus 20. Don't do anything on Halloween that violates the Ten Commandments. Just read through them and stay away from anything that it exalts or promotes or mixes, right? So thou shalt not murder. You should not be dressed up like a murderer or going and participating in things that are exalting murderers or murder or violence against human beings. That's murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery, right? Adultery is about, you know, taking another man's wife. You don't want to do anything that is promoting some sort of uh, sexual immorality, right? There, there's all sorts of stuff like that. So then there's, there's the last one, which is stay away from the filthy 15. Galatians 5.19 lists out 15 things, 15 sins that are common. They're common sins that we all can commit. And if you read through that list of the 15, probably the Lord in your mind will immediately show you things like, okay, that's, I don't want to do that. That's probably not good. I stay away from that. Yeah, we, we don't want to touch this because they are violations of these specific commands, these sins that we want to avoid. Now, this sounds like a lot of work because it is, but this is the work of a ruler. Rulers have a job to do. And as, as fathers, we're heads of a household. And as the head, that means we get to do the work. We get to think it through. And if you will do this, you will bless your family. This is your privilege. It's also your duty. This is why fathers get honored, because they take the responsibility of taking the word of God and applying it to the situation. So don't punt this. Don't just say, it's not a big deal. I need to worry about that, because you just don't want to do the work. Take this as an opportunity to teach your family how to exercise faith on Halloween. Now, I want to give you a pass. This Halloween, it's Halloween today. It's a couple hours away, so you don't need to worry about it this Halloween. But maybe reflect on this Halloween in the next couple weeks. Or get ready for the next Halloween that comes. Begin to think these things through so that you know how you'll respond next Halloween. Always keeping in mind that these are open-handed issues. Okay? Not closed-handed issues. So, an action step you can take is when it comes to Halloween, what do you believe is right and why? And the action is discuss it with your spouse and then discuss it with your children. And if you're not sure, if you don't really know, if you need help, ask a pastor. That's what we're here to do, to help equip you as fathers and mothers to be good rulers over your home so that your families are blessed. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I pray for this time. I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us to understand your will uh, when it comes to the question of should we celebrate Halloween? I pray that you would give us clear consciences and clean convictions. Help us to see from your word what you would have us do in our homes, in our lives. I pray <clears throat> against division in our family and ask that you, our, our church, and that you would unite our church, that you would uh, use this message to, uh, to instruct those who maybe have taken open-handed issues and put them in the closed hand, that you, God, would just uh, press on them repentance. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to be a body of Christ that has great Christian liberty but also great love. And that you would make this a witness to the community around us for what it looks like to be free in Christ. I pray for protection over our families and our children this Halloween. And I pray that you would use this question and this, this cultural holiday as a way of sharpening and strengthening us in our faith and giving us wisdom. Pray for the fathers and the mothers who are going to be forming the rules and policies for Halloweens in their family. That you just give them great wisdom 
and there would be an opportunity for their kids to grow as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.